0: What if President Donald Trump had chosen to stay in office despite losing the election? What if he had pushed his lie about the election so hard that he said, well, I'm not moving? And he perpetuated a constitutional crisis. And what if Congress didn't do anything to get rid of him? What if nobody really knew how? And he just stayed there. And January 20th came and went. And he was there and, you know, Biden was on the sidelines, making a bunch of noise, filing lawsuits that weren't working. If he was publishing a lot of media and getting people to say, hey, look, the election, I won it. The wrong guy is in power. President Trump and the Republicans stole the White House from the rightful winner. What if the media was coming out and saying, no, no, Donald Trump won. But you knew he didn't. What if it felt like the world had gone mad? And the U.S. was now under a dictatorship of a man who didn't win the election, right? Democracy had failed. What would you do? What would you be willing to do to save your country from tyranny and restore democracy? Might it be time for a bit of a revolution? Might it be time for a little insurrection? Might you march towards the capital? Might you be willing to break some laws? What are people willing to do under false premises? Welcome everyone to another episode of Reconsider, part of the Agora podcast network where we don't do the thinking for you. We're going to be talking about false premises today and what they make people do and how to think about people's minds under those false premises. I first want to start by saying thank you to everyone who has joined our patreon over the last few weeks so eric funk taylor sam and tom Mann, are some of our bigger donors that came along over the last two weeks and uh the fundraiser has been going great um obviously really grateful to those four uh we've had a couple great emails back and forth we're still not at our goal so for those of you who can what we ask You know, everyone who's a regular listener, if you're able, a buck a show. If you're looking for more perks, there's always more that you can get over at patreon.com slash reconsider. We'd love your support. It's going to mean a lot for our ability to continue operating going forward. Today, I want to talk about false premises, right, in this age of misinformation. Because if you believe in certain false premises, then a lot of unreasonable behavior starts to look very reasonable because indeed if donald trump had just decided to stay in office you know fold his arms and pout like he does and hold on and the republicans rallied behind him and said nope we're gonna you know we're gonna back the guy we're gonna decide to go hard enough into his claim that he won the election that we're gonna back him the Capitol Police said, well, we're not going to get rid of them. The military police said, we're not going to get rid of them. The U.S. Army said, look, we stay out of politics. We don't do coups. That's part of what makes us who we are. What could you do? Well, maybe I might march towards D.C. And maybe you might too. And so what does that mean about folks who believe that Donald Trump did win the election and Joe Biden's you know, team of Democratic cronies stole? The election and have the wrong person in power. And democracy did fail. There are people who believe that, who believe it very vehemently. Deep in their bones, they believe it. Now, I think it's crazy that anyone believes it because there's absolutely no evidence for it. And we're going to talk about why it's a false premise. But there are some more interesting false premises we're going to go through after this one. And to get us to rethink some of our own potential false premises, but also in some ways have a little bit of sympathy for those acting under false premises. Not because we want to say, well, you know, these guys, they stormed the Capitol, beat a few cops to death, tried to find Nancy Pelosi and do who knows what to her and tried to find Mike Pence and do who knows what to him. When it's not about for, it's not about letting it go, but it is about understanding how stuff like this happens. So that we're armed for the future, one, to prevent it from happening to us, and two, maybe we can do something about it with one of our friends. So let's talk a little bit about the election and its aftermath. So first, why is it clearly a false premise that Donald Trump should have won the election? Well, Trump's team, you know, between the election itself and January, had more than 40 lawsuits about the election based on alleged fraud to try to change the results, change counting, you know... Change current rules, challenge whether you know certain uh, state secretaries' mandates to accept uh, mail-in ballots a little bit longer due to the pandemic, stuff like that. Whether that was legal, right? And all those things, you know, that's that's how our system works. You have the right to to make those challenges, just as Al Gore tried to challenge the Supreme Court's ruling on Florida to stop the recount and just declare that Bush had won in 2000, and all forty of these lawsuits failed. Um, now someone will go, well, Trump's team won one lawsuit. Yeah. It was a lawsuit to allow poll, uh, watchers, um, poll observers, excuse me. Trump's poll watchers thing is a little scary, but observers, um, in Pennsylvania to stand a little bit closer, uh, to people counting. Right. Um, cause normally it was like, well, COVID, they really can't, but the poll observer said we can't see anything. And so they, they sued and that quickly got approved, but literally everything else got thrown out, not just by Democratic judges, but Republican-appointed judges, Trump-appointed judges, threw his cases out. Um, Many of them, you know, many of them saying that the case was insulting to the court. There's nothing there. Um, Lindsey Graham, I remember, I remember, like many of you, watching um, what is supposed to be, like, the most boring moment in, like, C-SPAN, Right, which is, uh, which was the, which was Congress going through and certifying the results of the election. In this case, it was Senate. You know, I remember Lindsey Graham, who who voted to certify, saying, saying, um, you know, look, I was open, I was open, I was willing to listen. Um, you know, I was told that sixty thousand people um had fraudulently voted as minors. I said, show me ten. I didn't see one. I was told in some other state, 20,000 people had, you know, illegally cast double ballots. I said, show me 10 of them. I wasn't shown one. This is, you know, and he said, this is ridiculous. And of course, Mitt Romney said, this is ridiculous. And I, and I watched all that. And these are great examples of, there isn't actually any evidence. There's just very loud claims, but people acted on that false premise and people got hurt and people died. And that lie, that that lie that was told by the Trump administration and its cronies. Right. And at this point, people supporting that narrative are cronies because they know better. Right. Like when you have, when you have serious players in politics, supporting that narrative, they know better. They are cronies, but those folks, their lies for political expediency lead to a very, very dangerous long-term problem where, A large chunk of Republicans, nearly half of them, continue to believe, or at least claim they believe, in this false premise that led some to violence. That may lead more to violence because this is a revolutionary country that has long, long had a tradition of threatening violence against tyranny rather than just standing by and watching it happen. And we have tens of millions of people who believe there's been some tyranny. And by the way, they tend to, they're more likely to have guns than the folks that don't believe it. What can they do? And so, of course, storming the Capitol was terrible and ridiculous. But what if you really believed that the wrong person was in power due to what was essentially a coup? What would you do? Let's look at an example from the other side. War for oil. You remember the Iraq War. All sorts of protests going on at that time. No war for oil. No blood for oil right you've seen the you know you've seen images you might have even been at the protests i remember many times over the years i hang out on reddit more than i should you know seeing jokes about um how you know a country's discovered oil and america's getting all excited right america's going to send you know very quickly send troops to invade the country because there's oil because there's this notion from the from the war for oil narrative that It is a common thing for the United States to go invade countries that have oil and, uh, you know, take possession of that oil because we're so hungry for oil, right? And that we're getting most of it from abroad, especially the Middle East, right? You hear tons of people who think, ah, the U.S. is involved in the Middle East because we get lots of oil from there. What if none of this was true? What if there wasn't a war for oil? What if the U.S. didn't have a strong need for foreign oil, not since the 70s? or at least not since the oil crisis of the 70s. What if the entire notion that Iraq was a war for oil or that the United States got any benefit in terms of oil or energy or money or anything from invading Iraq was a total lie? What if it was made up? What if it was completely unsupportable? Well, guess what? It is. So let's look closer at some of the facts. So oil from Iraq, just like pretty much everywhere else, is sold on an open market. It's a commodities market, which is how it works. The U.S. doesn't directly import any of our axle oil. The U.S. buy you know, American companies buy that want oil to like turn into diesel or turn into gasoline to then sell in the United States or sell back to the open market, which actually happens. We sell a lot of like diesel and other refined products to Mexico, for example, because we have excess distillation capacity. But the oil that private companies in the United States buy, they buy it on the open market. They buy it in a commodities market. If you've heard of like Brent prices or WTI prices, that's how it works. Iraq sells its oil on the open market just like the United States does, just like Canada does, just like Saudi Arabia does. Now, OPEC, um, they, you know, they, they are literally a, a cabal to limit the amount of production, limit the amount of oil that they produce, but they don't even have rules over who they can sell it to. Um, It's just all on the open market. So it turns out that the United States doesn't even end up on the open market, getting much in the way of oil from Iraq, even though Iraq's oil production is higher than it's ever been. So most of the U.S. oil, by a large majority, comes from the United States. We mine our own, right? Followed by where? Canada. Followed by Mexico. Followed by Russia. Followed by, is it Iraq? No, it's Saudi Arabia. But after that, it's right. Oh no, it's not, it's Colombia. Well, fine. After that, it's no, it's Venezuela. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven countries down, then we see Iraq, which is at 3%. It turns out most Iraqi oil goes to Indian China. Why? Because it's freaking closer. Because the port right there in the Persian Gulf allows ships to go very easily to China and India compared to having to go all the way around like through the uh, Suez Canal or something like that through the Mediterranean then over in the United States that's a long bloody way why would you do that it doesn't make sense and it doesn't happen iraq sells its oil where it's easy to sell it to india and china and it sells some to the united states sure sometimes because the united states is willing to pay a premium on iraqi sweet like crude but the folks buying it are private companies who will pay premiums at times for that crude in order to get the mix that they need at the refineries they're working at. Why do I know this? Cuz I used to work in a refinery. But I've also posted links on our um on the show notes here at reconsidermedia.com where you can go do this research yourself. It's not hard. It didn't take me long. Now I'll tell this to people and they'll go, oh, well, maybe the U.S. doesn't buy the oil, but we get sweet, sweet contracts in Iraq to mine the oil. Do we? Oh, cool. Where would you read that? You didn't. Right? There's this great, because it's not true. And I'll tell you about it in a sec. There's this great moment I love from Family Guy, which is always kind of a garbage show, where I forget what Peter says, but he says something to Brian. And Brian goes, where'd you read that? And he goes, I think it was a book. And Brian says, are you sure it was a book, Peter? Are you sure it wasn't nothing? And Peter goes, "Ah, oh, yeah. It, why is it funny? Because everyone knows someone like that. Where they go, oh, yeah, I know, no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. This is true. It's like, oh, cool, where'd you read that? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. And so there's 23 major extraction contracts in Iraq. The United States has two of them. Two of those 23. China has more extraction contracts India does obviously local middle eastern companies have more extraction contracts and by the way the way that we got those extraction contracts was an open bid the lowest bidder gets the extraction contract so the contract is the nation of Iraq which actually the, the oil belongs to the nation of Iraq who then sells it on the open market that's how it works in Iraq pays the extractors a certain amount of money per barrel in the $1 to $2 per barrel range. And that's not profit. That has to cover your operating expenses for those barrels of oil too. So the margins on this are awful. So the, of the two extraction contracts, they're not even all that great. Exxon makes a very small amount of money on this. So, and part of it's that the US isn't particularly competitive in trying to do the cheapest extraction in these like very easy wells, right? So Middle Eastern oil is very easy to get out of the ground. And so you can have China or India or Saudi Arabia send folks who get paid less so they can win these contracts. That's why the U.S. doesn't have many of them. So the idea that any U.S. action in Iraq was related at all to oil is indefensibly wrong. But it's a false premise that many people continue to believe that affects how the American public thinks about our foreign policy today. And it probably also tore down the Bush administration in a lot of ways, even though they remained— They lost a lot of power and they took a thumping, in George Bush's words, on the midterms. In part because everyone thought there was this deeply unjust war for oil to benefit big oil countries. And we're sending our people over there to die for oil companies and all this stuff that just, nope, nope, absolutely not at all true. Crazy, isn't it? Because you've heard it so much. People are so insistent on it. And probably most of us have never challenged this idea. But it's just not true. It's easily proven false. Crazy. I'm going to dive into one that's a little more complex. But um, it's a big deal and we should cover it. But it's it's very, what I'm about to talk about is very controversial. Um, and I'm going to limit myself to stuff I've read in the New York Times. Specifically because I don't want anyone basically like throwing bricks through my window. So over the last summer, obviously we... We had, you know, summer 2020, we had the Black Lives Matter protests in the response to, in response to the, you know, now officially murder of George Floyd, which was an awful event. There's this idea that, you know, the U.S. police is systemically racist, and we have a number of anecdotes of really just awful stuff. The killing of Eric Gardner, right, the original I Can't Breathe, but not the only one, Um Scott Walker running away from the cops, unarmed, shot in the back, killed. Right, and we had a few recent ones as well, where um, armed armed Black Americans uh, were shot and killed by police, either armed with a knife or armed with a gun. You know, but but questions on whether the shooting was necessary or the right thing. Obviously, Breonna Taylor being shot and killed during a break in, not a break in, but a um, a raid. So those anecdotes are all very true, but part of the premise of the mass protests um, and also not just the protests, but the rioting and the looting, some of which we talked about in the last episode, are are considered defensible by some. Um, But, you know, hundreds of buildings burning down, billions of damage being done, people getting hurt, um, you know, white people occasionally being hunted in the streets um, and like beaten by angry crowds. Right in reaction to a premise. And the premise is this, that black Americans in the United States are su- substantially more likely than white Americans to be shot and killed by police, generally unjustly. Is that true? What data have you seen? And a lot of people are going to be like, "Well, I don't need to see data. I've seen all these videos. It's obvious. It's a like, great, cool. So you realize, like a limited number of like, the U.S. is such a big place that you've seen a few videos online does not mean that you've seen kind of the whole cornucopia of evidence. So the New York Times published an article that was actually uh, it drew tons of flack because well it didn't support what some people wanted to say, and it goes the the article goes like this. It's from the the Upshot. It's called a data dive, and it's by Kwok Trung Boy, or I, I believe it's a Southeast Asian name, and I'm really sorry, I can't pronounce it, and Amanda Cox. Surprising new evidence shows bias in police use of force, but not in shootings. A new study confirms black men and women are treated differently in the hands of law enforcement. They're more likely to be touched, handcuffed, pushed to the ground, pepper sprayed by a police officer, even after recording for how, where, and when they count a police. But when it comes to the most lethal form of force, police shootings, the study finds no racial bias. Roland G. Fryer Jr., the author of the study and professor of economics at Harvard, says, quote, it is the most surprising result of my career. Why surprising? Well, because everyone already accepted that it must be true. But this is the first time someone tried to get real data on it. Hmm. So it's interesting, isn't it? What if it's true, right? And and there's there's a lot to this story. So the thing I have to caveat here is that there's, you know, in, in academia, you can, you can always, you know, a study pops out. You can always go and like look for methodological reasons why it may not be accurate, right? There, This is why academics have peer review. It's why they argue back and forth over all sorts of stuff. And they should, because you know we can we'll talk about the bit of a bit of the methodology in here for a second, so I'm not saying that I know with certainty that black Americans are not more likely than white Americans to be shot and killed by police, in particular if they're unarmed where it, where this study actually suggests that white Americans are more likely to be killed than black Americans if they're unarmed and uh so I'm not saying that it's definitely true. I'm saying this survey or sorry this study by a Harvard professor published in the New York Times found no racial bias in police shootings, right? And what if that was true? What if that is true? What if black Americans are not more likely per, this is per interaction with the police. So so we're looking at interactions, not just like by population, but by interaction. What if by interaction, Black Americans are not more likely to be shot and killed by police. What does that mean for the entire premise of these riots? Right? And of course, and and the the you know, it's called Black Lives Matter. So it suggests that black lives are less important right now to police than white lives. What if statistically that's not true? What does that mean? Can we accept that? Right? Can a group of, you know, can a can a, a nation that has been really like upended and changed based on the based on this premise that black lives are under greater threat than white lives from cops? Could it could we even accept, no matter what the evidence says, like, or rather, however overwhelming the evidence, could we accept a conclusion that black lives are not more under threat by cops than white lives if the numbers show it? Or are we unable to bear that? Now, one of the things we need to look at, this is also from the New York Times, is that black New Yorkers are twice as likely to be stopped by the police as white New Yorkers. So there is a study in New York. Um, So we know that black Americans have far more interactions per person than white Americans with the police. Right. So it means that in terms of total population, black Americans are more likely to be killed by police because they're interacting with the police more. Police are stopping them. These are we'll call we'll call them stops, which is what they are. It's not just like, howdy, officer. It's you're being stopped by the police. So black Americans are more likely to be stopped by the police. That's, there's plenty of evidence supporting that, but it's per stop. Um, police are some amount more likely to use their hands, push black Americans into a wall, use handcuffs for not an arrest, draw their weapons, interestingly, push them to the ground, point their weapons, and use pepper spray or baton. By an order of between 17 and 25%. So not twice as likely, again, per interaction, not even 50% more likely, but a little, you know, statistically significantly more likely, but, um, but not like twice as likely. So, uh, but black Americans are, are being um, stopped more, right? This is the idea of like driving while black, like you're being pulled over and the cop is like looking for a reason uh, to pull you over. Cops claim that um, cops claim that the driver for this is 911 calls and 311 calls, right? So they say, well, we're getting 911 and 311 calls twice as often. So is it that the cops, you know, could the cops have a racial bias about stopping black Americans? Yes, they could. And this isn't the only study that's relevant here. There could be all sorts of them. But could it just be that Americans are racist and they see a black American do something and they get suspicious? And so they're so Americans who are calling in the cops are actually getting the cops to to stop black Americans more often where there is a statistical likelihood that something in particular is going to happen. This gets even more complicated um, in a 2014 article by Michael Wines, News Analysis, Are Police Bigoted? Also the New York Times. I'm just going to read the beginning. If anything good has come out of this month's fatal shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, it's that the death of black, the black teenager shine out a spotlight on the plague of shootings of black men by white police officers. and Maybe now the nation will begin to address the racism behind it. That is the conventional wisdom anyway, and maybe it is true. Only a fool would deny that racial bias still pervades aspects of American society. The evidence is clear that some police law enforcement tactics, traffic stops to cite one example disproportionately target African Americans, and few doubt that blacks are more likely than whites to die in police shooting. In most cities, the percentage almost certainly exceeds the African-American share of the population. So this is the popula- so Erica side. this is the population part rather than the number of, um, number of interactions point. The article continues. Such arguments suggest that the use of deadly force by police officers unfairly targets blacks. All that is needed are the numbers to prove it. But those numbers do not exist. And because of that, the current national debate over the role of race in police killings is being conducted more or less in a vacuum. Right? So this is one of those things. is like the people who are really upset about this, like, do not want to see this evidence. They're not interested in it. And I linked this article. You can go read it. But one of the lines from it that's really interesting is that during a study, they actually, during this study of hundreds of shootings, um, they found the following quote, whether officers, veterans or civilians, the subjects consistently hesitated longer before firing at black suspects and were much more likely to mistakenly shoot an unarmed white suspect, the researchers found. What they failed to fire at an armed suspect, a potentially fatal mistake, the subject was about five times more likely to be black than white. The study's 36 police officers with the lone exception in failing to fire, the suspect's race wasn't a factor in their decision to shoot. Quote, the findings here were very unexpected given the previous experimental research, said Lois James, an assistant professor who conducted the research. Quote, the notion that cops who shoot, uh, want to shoot anybody is a lot of baloney, said Dr. Klinger, who has interviewed some 300 officers involved in shootings. But quote, but white officers are much more reticent to show to black man than a white man because all things being equal, they know the social context in which they are operating. So this is super complicated, but what's really interesting is we keep having studies over and over, which show that one, just statistically, uh, black men are not more likely to be shot at per stop than whites, but also we're starting to see evidence that cops, especially white ones are actually hesitant to shoot black Americans more than they are white Americans. Ooh, interesting, right? So what if what if we started cobbling together this this evidence? And the thing is, like, look, I'm not just doing the um the hey, I'm just asking a question thing, because I've done some research on this, and I actually don't I don't think there's a ton of compelling evidence to say that per stop, black Americans are in greater danger of being killed by cops, especially if unarmed than white Americans. In fact, the only evidence I've seen is to the contrary. And we have to For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But oh boy, would it challenge a lot. Because what if someone came out and said, Well, shoot, white Americans are being killed more often than black Americans per stop by cops. And we actually, we might have evidence that cops have a bias to not shoot black Americans as opposed to a bias to shoot them, right? So if I say, you know, if I come to you and I say, hey, look, there's clear evidence that the cops are more likely to shoot and kill black Americans. Most people would be like, well, yeah, obviously, even though they haven't read it, because I know they haven't read it because those studies aren't out there or at least I can't find them. But if I said like, hey, there's actually a, you know, did you know cops are more likely to shoot white Americans than black Americans? People are going to lose it. Right? People will like have this visceral, you know, visceral reaction where they reject that. In part because they're like, oh God, it's going to arm all the white supremacists to run around and say white lives matter, blah, 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 blah. These are bad facts. We don't want these facts out in public. (sighs) Stuff we have to keep in mind. Right? Because I'm not sitting here saying there isn't a problem for black Americans in our society, in particularly because there are many, many, many more interactions between the police and black Americans than white Americans. So we have data for that, right? One thing I'm ignoring is like what, you know, uh, uh, is people's anecdotes because everyone has anecdotes and like the anecdotes you've heard are the ones that get popularized, right? So what we like, I don't know how many anecdotes are from, uh, you know, Bodunk, Alabama, where some white guy is going like yeah I get hassled by the police all the time because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not there right doesn't like a- absence of evidence of anecdotes certainly is not evidence of absence of those anecdotes we just haven't seen them there's 350 million people in this country um but you know we do seem to have this higher interaction between black americans and police so quote Even after years of the police using a lighter approach, the study found that black New Yorkers are still nearly six times more likely to be stopped or arrested in 2018 than white New Yorkers were. And the ratio has not changed in more than a decade, according to the report. In 2003, Mr. Bloomberg's second year of office, it was exactly the same. Um, Even though the incarceration rate of black Americans has dropped dramatically, right? Um, And as far as we could tell, violent crime being perpetuated by black Americans has dropped dramatically. Um, That ratio still remains the same. So there may be a bias in in initiating these interactions, which is the thing that would make black Americans statistically more likely to be at threat from cops, even if it's not per stop. Um, what we don't, what I don't know and like what we can't sort out because there's like no omniscient view of people committing crimes. We only know about people committing crimes when the police have gotten involved. Right. So what we don't know is like how much more likely is a black American to commit a crime than a white American if at all. We can't know for certain. We'll never know. And so you can look at these statistics of Black Americans inter, you know, being stopped by the police more and say that, and you could decide, well, they just commit crimes more, or it's racism. But we actually don't have any way of saying. So So either of those conclusions is based on a false premise. So that's the really complex thing about Black Lives Matter. But, but I want everyone to walk away with the question, what if... The vehemence of the Black Lives Matter movement, in particular, the burning and looting and theft and rioting that a lot of people defend as a legitimate, you know, as as a legitimate response to a real problem is based in part on a false premise. What if, you know, hey, you're a Trump supporter, right? And, And you believe that tyrants have taken over the White House, what if that is a false premise? What if the whole war for oil thing is a false premise? People act on these false premises. And so in some ways, you know, should we just sympathize with these folks acting on these false premises? Because if, look, if you believe that the cops are just running around murdering black people at this huge rate, what are you going to do? Well, we saw, saw what people do. If you believe that the election was stolen from the legitimate winner of, of the election, right? And the wrong person's in power and democracy failed because people, you know, bad people sort of staged a coup. How are you going to act? Well, we saw how people act. But at first blush, it would suggest that the real problem is just that people are uninformed and we just need to fix that, right? Just educate them. How likely is that really going to work, right? So I argued with a friend actually recently And I asked him whether any evidence of any sort could possibly make him question whether Trump won the 2020 election. And he said, I've seen enough. I've seen enough evidence. And he pointed me to all sorts of like kind of wild conspiracy stuff that's been debunked by like Snopes and such. And of course, for him, all of the stuff that where people go and debunk this evidence, he's saying, well, no, no, no. I mean, of course, they're going to debunk it. They're the mainstream media or they're going to say it's false. It's the mainstream media. I've seen what I need to see. I've educated myself you know, sounds like an anti-vaxxer, sounds like a 9-11 conspiracy theorist. So can you change that person's mind? Well, they certainly don't want it to be changed. Same thing with the war for oil thing. Like I die on this hill all the time. Like when I'm, you know, you know, that, that meme that's like, you know, I swear I won't talk politics tonight, three beers later. And then it's like a picture of, you know, the American revolution, the French revolution. I'm kind of like that. And so the whole war for oil thing, you know, I talk about, it, I get a scoff. Um, you know, I say like, look, I explain it, and someone goes like, well, the Bush administration clearly did a bad job. Well, bad job at what? It's like, well, they clearly wanted the oil. Well, based on what? How do you know they wanted the oil? Based on no evidence for it? Right? But there's this idea that, well, if the evidence is to support what I say, then there must be an explanation other than me being wrong. Right? But the number of times I've heard people say, oh, well, they clearly did a bad job afterward, or things didn't go according to plan. Where was this plan? You just made that up in order to, in order to continue to support your point of view, which I just debunked, right? So there's zero evidence for access to oil, and there's clearly zero need for it, right? So it's sort of like, you know, in court, we, we have to have evidence and a motive, right? And so, like, what's the motive for the U.S. trying to get more oil out of Iraq that it didn't need? There's no motive, and there's no evidence. If you're sitting in a jury, you'd be like, this is ridiculous. And it is ridiculous, right? But people still hang on to it. And then same thing. I mean, look, the black lives matter thing. Good Lord. Like, you know, it's a, don't like, don't just like dive into a protest being like, Hey guys, did you know, (laughs) did you read this article from the New York times? Like not going to end well for you. People get straight up angry with me, super angry. They think I'm a bad person because I pulled up this article, right? Because I try to talk about this data. Why? Why? Well, because they have this story that they need to support that, you know, because, because like I happen to, so Eric Fogg happens to believe that like, again, there is racial bias in this country that hurts black Americans. Right. And that, and that we've got some reckoning to do. And so why would people be upset? Well, because I start to question, you know, you, you, you call into question one major thread of this wider narrative and then people get to call into question everything else. Right. And so, you know, this, like, knowledge is dangerous. These facts are dangerous. And, and of course, usually when I bring this up, someone goes like, oh, did you hear that on Fox News? No, it's New York Times. Oh, was it just some opinion piece? No, I was a Harvard professor. And then they're like, oh, well, it's got to be wrong. It just has to. It has to be wrong, Eric. It can't be right. I've already seen enough, Right. Eric, all you know, the fact that the Trump administration lost every single meaningful lawsuit regarding the election, and there's no clear and direct evidence for this, it just means that the whole system is is rigged against him. It can't be right. You know, or I can't have been wrong about the war for oil thing. I went and protested about that. I'm not willing to be wrong. Not just admit I was wrong, but be wrong in my own heart. In all three cases, people learned all three of these things not through going and getting data because there isn't data to support it. Except maybe, you know, again, depending on how you interpret, um, depending on how you interpret and and like what kind of priors you have going into police stops of Black Americans. But nobody's sitting here going, like, hey, look, I've got the statistics to show why this is like obviously a thing. And, because there aren't statistics to show it's obviously a thing and so and so how do people find out about this well it's that they're surrounded by lots and lots of people who believe it and repeat it right you get celebrity types talking about the war for oil or you get celebrity types talking about how the election was stolen stop the steal right you just say it loud enough and over and over and over again and people just assume like it must be true because like it wouldn't you know where there's smoke there's fire it wouldn't have this much noise if, it, if there wasn't something to it well guess what ain't how it works you know, we know that there can be lots of noise and it's all based on BS, total horse hockey. And so because you've heard this so often, you just accept that it's true. And it also happens to fit a narrative that you like. You know, you like the narrative that, um, you know, that Donald Trump uh, couldn't have lost. He's amazing, right? And Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe couldn't have won. Um, And you like the idea that, you know, Americans, real Americans wanted your guy to win. Um, and so it must have been the political elites that cheated. Or you like the idea that, you know, I don't understand why we went to Iraq and I I feel, you know, it, it felt wrong. And, oh, good, here's a good reason. You know, I happen to be left wing. Here's a good reason. It's to support evil oil-grubbing capitalists. Yes, right? Like, it all fits really well. Mm. It just makes it, like, so much easier to hate George Bush. Right? Um, I feel bad for George Bush sometimes. Because people like people like get mad at people like Ellen DeGeneres and Michelle Obama for hanging out with him. <laughs> it's like you're not allowed to hang out with him. He's evil. Um, anyway. But uh, or I mean, oh my gosh, right? Like, you know, there's a whole lot of people that are so attached to some of the premises behind Black Lives Matter. Like, it can't be true. I'm not really like, there's like no evidence that you can show me at this point. You know people like that. I know people like that. There's no evidence that you can show me that would make me at all interested in the idea that black Americans are not more likely to be shot and killed by cops when they're stopped than white Americans. I'm certainly not open to the idea that cops actually statistically are more likely to hesitate and not shoot black Americans than white Americans. Not interested in it, right? And angry that you brought it up. And think that you're a bad person because you brought it up. Because, of course, why would I bring it up if I wasn't a white supremacist? It's like, no, it's because I like to learn about this stuff. Right. I want to like have a good sense of reality, but, but because we're all now so accustomed to only going and getting evidence that supports what we want to be true, right. We've just normalized it so much that if someone has evidence, if someone has and shares evidence that contradicts what we think, well, they must have an agenda and that agenda must be bad. So you learn this stuff because you surround it, you surround yourself with all sorts of people who agree with you. And everyone just says it. And because everyone says it, because of how the human mind works, because of how we evolved, we just believe it must be true. And then some idiot like me comes along and goes like, well, technically I have some data that says like you're completely wrong. And you dig in, of course. Because your false premise, you're very attached to. And other people's false premise, well, they're idiots. And so, you know, next time you hear something that like everyone like you knows is true, You know, ask yourself at least, I wonder if there's evidence for that, because surely I haven't been systematically lied to by political agents who benefit from me believing in a falsehood that I take action on, that I protest about, that I vote on, that I donate money about. That only happens to the other side. Go read Wedged, right? We actually have clear evidence that many, many, many Americans are very easily manipulated by things that make them angry, such as this, all these, into taking political action, that supports the people who are manipulating you, right? Same old story. So it's time to ask ourselves, what actions have we taken on false premises? (laughs)